Thank you, worship team. Praise God. Wow. And as a drummer, Trevor, where are you at? Oh, my goodness. That was amazing. Nice job drumming, dude. All right. So, um, it, you know, here's what happens this time of year. We eat our turkey or ham, whatever you eat. Thanksgiving the next day, and we're like, Christmas, yay. Here's the deal. I like Christmas, kind of. Um, no, I, I like Christmas when it comes. Um, but we are going to celebrate Christmas. Everyone's always asking me right after Thanksgiving, where's the Christmas decoration? December 13th, okay? We're going to start a Christmas series that week. We'll have all the decorations. So just hang tight. Two more weeks. And then we'll start Christmas at Stonebridge. It, it will come. It'll be great. A um, couple of resources for you. Uh, if you don't already have this or know about it, we have these Romans journals. Um, if you're at home too and you're watching this and you want one of these, it's got scripture on one side, spot to take notes or, or whatever you want, doodle on the other side. Um, if you want one of these, uh, we could even come and deliver it to you if you live in Boone. Um, and we also have the Stonebridge masks as well. So if you're interested in that, they have the little cinch thing so you can adjust them and a uh, little nose piece. So I think they're all right. And they have a little little logo. So if you're interested in that, we could also deliver one of those to you as well. And if you're here, those are both on the table in the lobby. So check that out. All right. We're in Romans 7 today. So if you want to start turning to Romans 7, we're going to look at 7, 1 to 12. And while you're going there, I just want to point out something that I find funny as a pastor. Um, I find it funny and weird and strange and I, I don't know, all of the above, when people apologize to me for swearing. Okay? And what's even better, though, is when they swear and then they find out I'm a pastor later and then go back and go, oh, I'm so sorry I said that, like I've never heard those words or said them. I just find it hilarious. And I, I, think, I think a lot of it, for, for most people, I think, is rooted in this common belief that Christians... And Christianity is all about obeying rules or being a good moral person, trying as hard as you can to measure up. When in all actuality, Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He, made, he came to, to make dead people alive. He came to make orphans Children of the Father, it's relational. And the result should be obedience, absolutely. But it certainly doesn't mean mean we're perfect. And it certainly doesn't mean that's our focus, is the rules. Our focus is now Jesus. It's a relationship. So I want to give you a little background. If you missed it, we we covered Romans 6 the last couple weeks. So if you look at this chart with me, Romans 6 is basically about how we're dead to sin. Our identity now, if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is no longer sin. So we're dead to sin. You could, have you ever heard the saying, some people say like, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I don't think so. Your identity is not sin anymore. Certainly we still sin. But that's not who we are. You're saved by grace and sometimes you sin. I think that saying is wrong. But anyway, this is our identity. We found that in, in chapter 6. We're dead to sin. Our new identity is that we are alive to Christ. Our identity is now found in Jesus, not in sin. Chapter 7 follows a similar pattern. But it's a little less familiar to us. 
So I'm going to try to help you understand that this week. And then Eric Smith will help us next week understand the last part of it. But Romans 7 is basically this. You're dead to the law. We're dead to the law. We'll talk about what this means in a second. But we're dead to the law and we're alive to the spirit. Our identity is found in the Holy Spirit. It's found in relationship with God, not in rules, not in the law. All right, let's read chapter 7, 1 to 6, and we'll break it down. Romans 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, here's the point. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures in a minute to help you understand these verses because these are hard to understand. You look at this, even his analogy, you're kind of like, if if you really start looking at it and comparing it to what he's talking about, you're like, I don't... I don't quite get it. I don't, I don't quite understand what's going on. And here's why I think we don't understand it very well. One of our elders slash councilmen pointed this out to me. Um, we didn't grow up with the Old Testament law. Okay? Un- unless you grew up Jewish, um, which you would have then. But I don't, I don't think most of us, maybe any of us, grew up memorizing the Old Testament law. That's literally what they do to memorize it and, and, and just have it in their veins. This is, this is what they're all about. They did. Most of the people Paul is writing to, if, if they didn't grow up with it, were very, very familiar with the Old Testament law. So he starts talking about the law, and they would have been like, oh yeah, I get that. Whereas we're like, I don't really understand. So I want to help you understand with some pictures, because I'm a very visual person, as are many people. Um, and I think emojis are fun. So we're going to try to explain this with emojis, okay? Um, now, before we do this, I have to say one more thing. I am not making any statements about marriage, remarriage, or divorce here this morning. And either is Paul. So don't get caught up in that, okay? Don't, don't try to go, oh, okay, well, I can do this with marriage and re-. That's not the point, okay? He's trying to make a spiritual analogy through marriage. All right, let's look at our first one. Verse 1, it says this. Um, at the end, it says, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So here we are, okay, without Christ... You are bound to the law till death do you part. Okay? As long as you live, you are bound to the law, to the rules. God's standard. And I use the cringy face because, well, we've seen through Romans, we all fall short of the glory of God. It is not a happy marriage. It is not a good deal here to be bound to the law because we constantly disappoint and screw up. Now let's turn to the analogy. At the beginning of verse 2, it says... A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. So, here we go. Verse 2. You, here's the analogy. You're bound to your spouse if you're married. 
But if you're not, pretend you're married, you're bound to your spouse till death do you part. In, in God's perfect world, that's what would happen. Um, like it or not, uh, even on the bad days, you're bound till death do you part. That's the analogy he's, use, he's using. Now here it gets a little weird. The end of verse 2, it says, But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Okay? So if you die, I guess it's not weird yet. We'll get weird in a second. If you die, then your spouse would now be free to marry someone else. You're no, you're no longer bound till death do you part. You died, so they're free. But let's say that you died... But then you rose from the dead. Remember, I'm not saying anything about marriage and, and divorce and remarriage if you happen to die and rise from the dead. Not saying that either is Paul. Um, but it works for the analogy. Just run with it for a second. Um, at the end of verse, or at the beginning of verse 3, it says, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. All right. So put it up there. If you came back to life, you would be free then to marry somebody else. Okay, that's the analogy. Again, don't superimpose that on marriage. Let's get to the point. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Just like we die, we're, we're free from that covenant of marriage. We died to ourselves. We saw in chapter 6 that we, when we trust in Christ spiritually, we die to our old self. We die to our sinful nature. That is no longer who we are, which means we are no longer bound till death do us part while we died to our old self. So we died. We're no longer bound to the law. But the end of verse 4 says this, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead we now can have relationship with Christ. We aren't bound to the law, so we can have marriage with Christ. We can have a relationship with Christ. So just like spiritually here, the analogy is, hey, you die, you can, you can marry another. We died to our old self, but it didn't, didn't just end there. Jesus didn't stay dead. He, he rose from the dead. And so we rise from the dead as well. Spiritually, we get a new life, a new identity found in Christ. And because of that, we now are bound to him and we're happy because we can actually have relationship because he took care of our sin problem. So if you're not tracking with me, um, maybe this will help. Let's go to the next one. Verse five, read verse five with me. For while you were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the, the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Here's us apart from Christ bound to the law because of our sin Rules come in, and we're going to see this later in this passage. I'll explain this more in a minute. But sin, just our sinful nature, when we hear rules, we go, I want to disobey that. And we do. And even when we obey it, we often do it with terrible motives. And it's just disobedience, fruit for death, terrible fruit. But the new way in Christ we see in verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Not an old way of the written code. So here with Christ, it's now marked by, by the Holy Spirit empowering us and filling us in this beautiful relationship with Jesus. And we can actually obey. This is my feeble attempt to explain Romans 1 to 6, 7, 1 to 6 through emojis. Let's move on to the next section. This will help us understand it even more. 
7 to 12. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not... Uh, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good here's what that section is saying essentially the law isn't bad rules aren't bad they're just terrible saviors the law isn't bad it's just a terrible savior if you want to go back Go to the next slide here. This system under the law is a system of trying and failing, trying and failing. This system is one of reliance. Reliance on the Holy Spirit, which gives us a fighting chance at obeying. But rules aren't bad. Here's what the law is. The law, God's laws, is just a microscope on our sin. It's like you just put your sin on a slide and put it under the microscope and go, wow, that's... That's worse than I thought. It exposes our sinful trying and failing at obeying the rules. It exposes how dead and rotten we actually are apart from Christ. And he uses here in verse 7, he uses an analogy. uh, And he talks about a specific law. You shall not covet. You shall not covet in the Ten Commandments that Moses received on Mount Sinai. Those... This is the 10th commandment, the last one. Now, I think Paul used this. I think it's pretty clear that Paul used this commandment because it's the first and only of the 10 commandments that's explicitly inward and not just outward. But if you you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, you see that Jesus actually shows, shows that they all apply to your inner life, all of the 10 commandments. But do not covet. This is something that has to do with desires. Pastor Dave Harvey described or explained covet as this. He said, it it means desiring stuff too much or desiring too much stuff. Desiring stuff too much or desiring too much stuff. But here's the point. He's not trying to make a point about coveting or covetousness, which is a fun word to say. He's trying to say it's, it's, this is about desires. Our desires are all out of whack. Our desires are messed up. So you don't even have to leave the Ten Commandments when it comes to the law before you see that the law just magnifies our sin nature. We don't even have to do sinful, lawless things. It starts in our hearts. It starts in our minds, in our desires. That's what coveting is. It's all about our desires. And then you see in verse 8 and 11, it says sin Seizing an opportunity through the commandment. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. St. Augustine helps us understand that a little bit. St. Augustine um, was a pastor in the 3rd and 4th century AD. Okay, And in his work, Confession said this. And hang with me. I'll explain it in a second. Remember, he's from the 3rd and 4th century. So it's going to be 
old sounding, but there was a pear tree close to our vineyard, heavily laden with fruit, which was tempting neither for its color nor its flavor. To shake and rob this, some of us wanton young fellows went late one night, having, according to our disgraceful habit, prolonged our games in the streets until then, and carried away great loads, not to eat ourselves, but to fling to the very swine, having only eaten some of them. And to do this pleased us all the more because it was not permitted. So if you missed that in the language, Augustine, St. Augustine, as a teenager, saw a pear tree. And he's like, you know what? We've got pear trees at home. And you know what? Those pears probably don't even taste that good. I don't need these, but I'm not supposed to have them. He was probably told not to pick them. So he's like, I want to do it. So he does it. And he feeds most of them to the pigs. And he says he did it. Why? Because it wasn't permitted. It was attractive to him because he couldn't do it. It was like me growing up. My dad, my dad and I had this like, like, uh, Simba, what's Simba's dad's name? Mufasa, thank you. Simba and Mufasa moment where he takes me up to the edge of our property. We had 10 acres of wood and, and there's this cliff or we called it a cliff. It wasn't really a cliff. I, go, I went back there recently and it's probably a 15 foot drop off of dirt that they were just digging out dirt for fill dirt. Anyway, he brings me up there when I was young and goes, don't ever come up here. Don't ever come up here because you'll get, you could get very hurt. This ground isn't stable. Don't come up here. So guess what I did? I went up there a ton. I brought, I mean, I played around it. I jumped off that thing, slid down it, brought anyone, my, my cousins, friends, anyone. Hey, let's go to the cliff, you know? Why did I want to do it? Because I was told not to. That's what it means that sin seizes an opportunity through the rules. We hear rules and we go, I want to do that. That's our sin nature. The law is a microscope. It exposes our sinful trying and failing at the rules. But he ends verse 12. The rules aren't bad. The law isn't bad. It says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. They're not bad. They're, they're good and godly. But in verse 10, it says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So the law itself, even if you look at the Old Testament law, promises life. Look at Leviticus 18.5 with me. It says, if you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. Here's the problem. The first word, if. If you obey. The rules aren't bad. They just are terrible saviors. It is clear. If you haven't been paying attention during Romans, it is clear that we all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. None of us obeys the law to a T. And so it proves to be death to us. So here's the purpose of the law. Here's the purpose of the rules. It's just to expose our desperate need for Jesus. The law's purpose is to expose our desperate need for a savior. The law is good. It just is a terrible savior. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 to 26. Now, before faith came, 
We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified or declared right by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It says that the rules are just a guardian. They were never intended to save us, but they weren't intended to be bad either. Let me give you an analogy to help you out. Imagine that you never met your father. And if that's, if that's true of you, I'm, I'm so sorry. But imagine, if that's not true of you, that you never met your father. And then at age six, he writes you a letter. Just out of nowhere, you get a letter in the mail from your dad. And he says, hey, you need to do this and not do that. Just gives you all sorts of advice. But then you don't hear from him for years. And so you really struggle to follow his advice because you're like, does my dad actually care about me? Why would I want to obey someone's advice from someone that clearly isn't around and just abandoned me? But then, one day, your dad shows up and he's back in your life. And he doesn't just write a letter to you. He shares that advice with you in person. He helps you live out that advice. He walks with you. That's what this means. That the law was a guardian. It wasn't a bad thing. It wouldn't be a bad thing if your dad wrote you a letter with some advice. But it's going to be really hard to want to obey that. Unless he's walking through it with you. Because of Jesus' sacrifice. It goes from a letter. To a father. To a dad. Coming home to the sons and daughters. We go from sinners to sons. We go from delinquents to daughters. And now our dad walks through life with us, strengthening us to obey, motivating us to obey, empowering us to obey, and giving us grace even when we fail. The law was a guardian. It was meant to help us out until he came. And that's what it did. What do we do with all this? We need to live out our true identity. We need to rely instead of try. Our identity is that we are dead to the law. We are dead to the rules. And we are alive to the Holy Spirit in relationship with Christ. Look again at verse 6. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. There's our identity. Dead to the rules. But identity drives action. Or, or put a different way, who you are drives what you do. Who you are drives what you do. So the end of verse 6, it says, so that we serve. So that we serve. We are dead to the law and in relationship with Jesus and have the Holy Spirit's empowerment, not so that we can ignore the law, but so that we can obey God, so we can serve God in the new way, it says in verse 6, in the new way of the Spirit, in relationship, in relying, not in the old way of the written code of rules and, and of trying. Live out your identity. Rely more and more on the Holy Spirit to empower you to obey. Check out this graphic. This is what it's like without Christ. 
And every day, you and I are tempted to live like this. Trying and trying in self-reliance. I've got this. We walk into situations and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this out. I am not going to sin. This is going to be great. Ugh. And guess what? We fail. That's the old way. You don't need to puff up your chest anymore. You don't have what it takes. But you have the one in you who does have what it takes. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Quit living like your old identity. We need to be praying things like, like Jesus, help me way more than saying things to ourselves like, you got this. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. And it's much more relational and much more enjoyable to walk through your Christian life depending on God than thinking you got it all together and can take care of it. My sinful tendency when I get home from work is to be grumpy and irritable. Right, dear? Why did I ask? Um, but that's my tendency to be grumpy and irritable after a long day when I come home. And when I have this mentality of trying, here's what I do. I go, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to be grumpy. I'm not going to be irritable. And I put on a happy face for maybe half the night if I'm lucky and then end up losing it, maybe even yelling. But if I shut the music off on my way home and humbly beg the Holy Spirit to fill me up and empower me and and just give me the strength and the joy to be genuinely not grumpy and irritable when I get home. Maybe there's some stuff that happened in that day I need to process with God. I need to do that before I get home. And then go, God, fill me up. I need you. And then continue praying prayers like that through the night. Then I've got a fighting chance of not being grumpy and irritable. Relax. Relax and stop trying so hard to obey God. You'll just fail. Instead, enjoy relationship. Enjoy relying on the Holy Spirit who is stronger wiser and gentler than you could ever be on your own. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. I thank you so much that you don't just leave us as orphans 